I'm Mason Toy, and you're listening to the Sound of the Loons podcast. afternoon or evening depending on when this finds you welcome to the sound of the loons podcast presented by cub the groceries with the mosteries i'm steve mcpherson and i'm joined as ever by cal williams um cal it's uh it's been a week of things um since we last spoke we're sort of hitting the the doldrums i would say of 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 mls in the sense of we're into some sort of very technical drafts, like that, like t- a double stage re-entry draft. And, mm. you know, I was looking at the athletic, um, uh, the athletics front page for soccer today. And it was like, you know, Tim Howard coaching the Grizz, the, the Memphis, uh, sorry, Memphis Grizzlies, <laughs> you know, USL team in Memphis, uh, top, top 10 kits of the last decade. And like, who would win in a five on five tournament between, between MLS coaching staffs. I'm like, we're definitely, we're scraping the barrel here yes. for content. Um, I wanted to start by talking about, uh, the, the film frozen two. <laughs> I don't assume you have any reason to have seen frozen two. Um, not yet, but I actually rather enjoyed frozen. Okay. So I, I okay. would happily see frozen two. Okay. Now, how many times have you seen frozen? Probably not as many as you. This is one of those things about these movies. It's funny because I think when you talk about film and you say like, there are certain movies that I really enjoy that I don't want to see again. Um, I think that, I mean, children of men is a very dark movie. That's one of my favorites. And so I've seen it several times, but I can see why people would maybe watch that movie and go, man, I, that was great, but I don't want to see it again. Sure. People who are out there, other adults without children who are judging frozen Two, they're like, I liked this. I liked this. I was like, yes, but are you going to enjoy it on the 375,000th viewing of this movie, which is how I have to think about these movies. Frozen, I saw, I was like, it's fine. Then I sort of grew to like it, and then I became numb to it after multiple repeated viewings. Um, so Frozen 2, I, I endorse. It's a good movie. It's a little darker. It's kind of got the Empire Strikes Back second movie vibe to it. Um, I think it's a little more consistent as a film. I think the narrative is a little more rewarding. Uh, Frozen is good, but it's a little more like set piece, set piece, set piece. There's sort of like the... the beginning part where Anna is hurt uh, by Elsa and they take her to the trolls that sort of sets up the opening of the gates. You know, there's sort of, there's sort of events, but they're sort of disconnected in some ways. There's no single set piece as good as let it go in frozen, but the songs are still very, very good into the unknown is, is my uh, favorite. Uh, that's, that's what I would view as the banger. Um, I, I don't really like Kristoff's uh, hair metal ballad, uh, which he does. Partway through, I can see it becoming very annoying over time for me. So um, I'll give it a uh, I'll give it a solid four out of five sippy cups um, on my 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 rating of kids movies. Well, so first of all, you you suggested there was an Empire Strikes Back element of this movie, yes? Yeah, in this movie, it's a little darker. You know, okay. I mean, it's still got a, a happy ending. It's I don't think this is it's not sort of spun as the as a trilogy. I mean, I'm sure there's going to be a Frozen Three because it's basically printing money. Yes. Um, but, uh, it, you know, it's a little, it takes a little longer and a little more of a circuitous route to get there. There's, there's a real bottoming out of hope in a way that I think in frozen, there wasn't quite that same thing. So So what you're suggesting is that there's an unexpected father announcement somewhere in frozen two and somebody gets their their hand cut off. Yep. 
Um, there's actually, there's, uh, without throwing away too many spoilers, we saw it over Thanksgiving weekend. And uh, I felt that it was, it was a perfect Thanksgiving movie since it's mostly about a family dealing with their racist grandpa, um, which is sort of a theme of, of, of holidays and, okay. and getting together, I think. So how was your Thanksgiving, by the way? It, very good, thank you. I was down in Kansas City where my, my wife is from and um, uh, yeah, had a great time, ate way too much food. And um, all these uh, efforts that you... Uh, uh, highlighted in a previous podcast of going to the gym. Thank you for that, by the way. No problem. Um, I made you accountable, and now you've fallen off the wagon. Now I've fallen off the wagon, yeah. and I went back to a uh, first class um, yesterday, and uh, I'm really, 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 really sore. Now, now you have gout. Uh, yes, yes. Yeah. Now, uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I've been hobbling around the office <laughs> today, um, like I've been shot in the leg. So, um, yeah, it's uh, no. Um, it was it was wonderful. Thanksgiving was wonderful, um, and it, it's just a special time of year, isn't it? You know, getting yeah. to see family and yep. spending some time with uh, with people that really really matter. So it was great. Yourself? Uh, it was good. It was pretty mellow. Um, it, it's funny talking around the office to some of the, my my younger colleagues um, who are talking about you know people who are in relationships or just married or something, and they're like, well, we got to go to. One Thanksgiving and then another Thanksgiving, and I'm like, I'm old enough. I got kids. I go to one. Mm. That's it. We go to we go to my wife's place, my wife's parents' place, and uh, it's great. You know, I think that I noticed that the the tenor has shifted a little bit. I know my wife and I have been together now for 15 years, which is crazy. We've been married. Well for, thank you. We've been married for 12 of those. Um, we, we were divorced for one right in the middle. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> but anyways, so you know, I've known her family for a long time at, at this point, and I've watched some of those kids who were, you know you know, three and four years old are now teenagers, right? And the, the the sort of tenor of the gathering has shifted toward adults a little bit, which is kind of nice for the time being. Because so now what we have is, you know, m- me and my wife and her, I've said my wife so many times, so yes. I gotta throw it out. Which one is it? What are we doing? No, that's no. Taylor's going. What are we doing? It's going. It's very moist uh, and very there's the- <laughs> My there it is. There you go. Um, huh. It's very moist and very sweet. I was me talking about the carrot cake. Uh, anyways, <laughs> um, so 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 with me and and my wife and um, my wife. sister uh, and her family and everything like that, we have our kids who are the little kids now who are sort of in age range from like two up to eight or nine or whatever like that. Then there's a bunch of cousins who are now into their teens and maybe starting to get into their twenties. So they're not in relationships. They don't have kids yet. Eventually, they will then have the kids, and then my kids will be the older cousins to those kids, which is kind of fun. Um, but it, you know, it sort of shifted the gathering a little bit. And now I think it's a little more adult, which is nice. It's a little bit less of a frenetic entertain the children, uh, watch, put on movies, a lot of stuff done for their benefit. There's sort of, you know, it's like we have a kid's table, they sit there, they eat or don't eat or whatever they do, um, while we're all having fun. So, uh, so yeah, good holiday. Thanksgiving still remains my favorite holiday at this point in my life because there's, there's no stakes for presents or anything like that. Mm. And there's, there's none of that. So it's just a good family gathering. So yeah, I definitely had a great time. Good. Uh, I would completely agree that I prefer Thanksgiving over over Christmas. I've nothing against Christmas or any other holiday for that matter, but Thanksgiving it there's just a feeling of relaxation, isn't there? You know, yeah. There's no pressure. Yeah. Unless you're cooking, by the way. But sure. Um, if you're not cooking, then it's you know um, relatively uh, relaxing. And um, yeah, look. Apart from that, um, 
relaxing few days. It was absolute anarchy because I had a friend in from London who uh, sure. <laughs> we had to show around uh, Minneapolis and then Kansas City. Um, and, uh, you know, it was uh, it was carnage. Did he have a good time? Fun. I think so. Yeah. He saw I, many sporting events, correct? Yes, we took him to the Wild. We took him to the Wolves. Um, and unfortunately, just past weekend, we took him to see the Kansas Jayhawks football team, ah. um, which, um, yeah, it, it wasn't great. <laughs> we left at halftime. All right, let's talk a little bit about the re-entry draft, which just completed. Um, let's. Which was... Uh, I'm going to lean on you for your knowledge here. Nothing really of import happened for Minnesota United or, or Minnesota United alums, Minnesota United passed um, in both rounds. Uh, Juan Agadello uh, has gone from the, the Revs to Cincinnati? Toronto. Toronto. Mm-hmm. The other guy went to Cincinnati. Saad Abdul Salam. Yeah, Saad Abdul Salam. Sorry, I had just looked at this and I was trying to remember which who went where. Um, it, it, tell me a little bit about what you feel as as far as the reentry draft as, as it relates as a tool for, you know, building teams in, in MLS, you know, compared to the expansion draft or compared to the super draft or any of these various, various drafts we have. I think, um, I can see the argument for it being a little outdated now, but I, I actually still think it's a good way for a lot of these players to remain in the league if they still have a contract with, with MLS. So, um, you know, there were some good pieces picked up over the, the course of the last few weeks in these various different drafts, but I, I didn't expect many people to go in stage one because in stage one of the re-entry draft, you have to honor the contract and pay that player what he was earning at the previous club. Stage right. two, you can renegotiate. Um, and I'll be totally honest, Steve, I thought a few more would go today. Mm-hmm. So I'm interested to see uh, where a couple of these individuals end up. Um, Saad Abdul Salam went straight away. Cincinnati got the first pick, and I thought that was a very smart pickup. Um I'm not entirely sure what his wages are, but I know he's not terribly expensive. And he was he with the Sounders. The, with the, the Sounders, MLS championship caliber. Yeah. He can play either side of, of the back line as well, right back or left back. And I thought it was a really good good signing. Um, mm-hmm. And then everybody else seemed to pass. So I get the feeling that there were a few others that actually thought Salah Salam would have been a good option. Sure. It wouldn't surprise me if Minnesota United thought that as well. Mm-hmm. So, and it, you know, if he was available when Minnesota United were on the clock, it wouldn't have surprised me at all if we went for him. But nevertheless, um, and then Juan Agudelo is uh, such a conundrum because I remember originally he came through um, at uh, New York Red Bulls and he was 17 when he made his first team debut and looked like he was a world beater. Then he was traded over to Chivas USA, RIP, um, <laughs> and, and it just didn't work. And then he got the move to, um, to, to Stoke City or, or at least tried, but for whatever reason was denied a work permit, which it, it's it's silly FIFA rules that you've got to have played for the national team so many times before you're allowed a work permit, which I think is incredibly outdated. Sure. Um, one of many things that FIFA need to fix. Um, so then he went on loan to FC Utrecht in uh, the Eredivisie, did well, and then all of a sudden he ends up back in, in MLS with the Revs and, and has, has been okay. He's not been great. Um, so I think actually a change of scenery might be quite good for him. And if TFC keep the core players that they have, um, he'll get plenty of chances. Um, Obviously, assuming Josie Altidore remains a Toronto player, Agudelo will obviously be the number two behind Altidore. But what he does, he does offer something a little different to what Josie Altidore can offer. Patrick Mullins, I don't know if he'll be around Toronto FC next season. Mm -hmm. Um, So I would firmly expect Agudelo to go in as the number two centre forward behind Josie Altidore. Um, And as I said, he's a bit different. He's a bit quicker. Um, He plays in the channels a bit more often than Josie Altidore does. So I could very well easily see him playing 
either wide of Josie Altidore or indeed, as I've said several times now, coming off the bench. Um, I think it's a good pickup. Um, I'm assuming they're going to negotiate a salary which benefits uh, them and is good for him. Um, but if all if it all works out, I think that's a good pickup for TFC. I really do. Yeah, I mean, I think that we've seen before that. I would say it seems like more so than in some other sports uh, in the U.S. Soccer is in a place right now where a change of scenery can drastically change a guy's fortunes in a way that I think you don't see as much. There are fewer players in the NBA. There are more players in the NFL, but NFL teams are such systems and they're sort of like guys are scouted to death. Um, in the NBA, you sort of know what a guy's skill set is. There, there are times when a guy goes to a new team and gets a new lease on life, but uh, the, a lot of those guys are sort of fringe guys. I think with MLS, given the depth of soccer talent there is in the world and the depth there is even, you know, to a certain extent in MLS and, and the way that teams change, you know, formations and tactics and roles and things like that, you see these guys become, go from being forwards to wingbacks to, you look at Latif Blessing and sort of getting a new lease on life in LA, at, at LAFC. I think we've seen that there's there's room for these guys to stay in the league sometimes, and it's like the mechanisms are not set up to totally support that yet. And so the reentry draft seems like it has its point where a guy, one team just says, "Well, it's not working here. We can't really move him anywhere at the, the salary he's at. We're going to let him go." And then they they're picked up in the reentry draft, and their contracts are renegotiated. They could have a sort of second lease on life. So, yeah, and look, I mean, let's not make any bones about this, shall we? I think one individual that could probably benefit from uh, another opportunity elsewhere is is Miguel Ibarra. Absolutely. I think he could do very well um, in another team that um, is a little more direct than Minnesota United are. Um, and I don't know where that team is. Um, there's been suggestions it's Houston Dynamo. Um, I I don't know if that's the case. Um, either way, I, I just I wish Miguel Ibarra all the best and, and hope that he lands somewhere in Major League Soccer because I think he's good enough to play in this league. And look, the same could be said for Colin Martin as well. I think Colin mm -hmm. Martin should be playing in the U.S. somewhere. Um, Rasmus Schuler, I think, will end up going um, and, and um, signing in Sweden or Denmark or somewhere like that. I know he's training with with uh, AIK at the moment in Sweden. So um, I, I think the re-entry draft does present an opportunity for players that are under contract in Major League Soccer. Um, and I, I don't think anybody would ever be mad at that potential um, of them getting a new club. Um, but now after... You know, the drafts are all done now. I'm interested to see what happens with a few other people. Some people will, will um, you know, because their contracts are expiring, will, will go out and be free agents and can go off and have a look around the world. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I'm really interested to see what happens. But um, I was quite surprised that, as I said earlier on, Steve, not that many were taken in stage two today because I thought there were some really interesting players available. Mm -hmm. um, now, whether or not there's been a flurry of activity prior to this and, and agreements have been made between certain clubs, like if you don't take him, like we'll trade you this guy or give you this amount of money sure. or whatever, vice yeah. versa, you know. Um, don't be surprised if we see that uh, over the next few days, by the way. Um, I, I just think, uh, you know, it, it, it really is identifiable as silly season, isn't it? You know, yeah. and uh, But it's, it's a tremendous amount of fun. It really is. And um, there's a lot of roster building to do for just about everybody. I mean, what, and what are we, uh, what, 89 days until... Kickoff. Is that what it is? Yeah. Yeah. So. It's short. All right. Let's, uh, let's talk about some of that roster building that's going on. We'll sort of take a little spin around the league with some news. Um, a big thing in the last, the, I think just yesterday, Brooks Lennon from RSL to Atlanta mm. uh, for about 300,000 total in allocation monies. Um, 
the thing that sort of stands out about this, the thing that is sort of beginning a lot of attention with it is how flexible he is, uh, having been a forward, being converted to a fullback, and how this can help, you know, especially uh, DeBoer showed, you know, a willingness to change formations and, and move guys around and try different stuff out. That gives him something flexible there. It sort of made me think about, um, as long as we're in silly season, something sort of hypothetical, but... You know, just sort of this question of the value of, of of players being flexible versus the value of having like an identity, right? Because every player sort of wants to be known as this is what I do. But then also there's players where you say, well, they can do a lot of different things and that's useful. But is there a point at which it's like that much flexibility can lead to you sort of not establishing an identity in a team where that could be valuable? We talk about Hassani Dotson's ability to play. He's played both fullback positions. He's played as a defensive mid. He's played as a more central mid, sort of a box-to-box player. But at some point, like, don't you want to like, the player wants to say, this is what I identify as mm-hmm. like, and that's where you go. I mean, what do you, what do you think about that? Is it, is there, is there an inflection point there of where it's the flexibility becomes a detriment because you're not, you're not establishing yourself as this is what you, what your identity is. Yeah. I think there's got to be a point at some stage in your career where you have a specific identity. Um, I think when you're young, much like Asani Dotson has done, and you've been asked to play certain positions. And Brooks Lennon is positions. 22. Brooks so. Lennon <laughs> is a perfect example. I saw Brooks Lennon play for the Liverpool under-23s, actually. Um, I was commentating on the, the Premier League 2 game um, oh, a couple of years ago and thought he looked very, very sharp. Um, I think as you're young, just get in the team. Mm-hmm. If you can get into the team and do a good job, great. Once you continue to establish yourself then you can perhaps say to the coach, actually, this is where I play. This is my position. The, the coach, if they have anything about him as well, will, will know as well where, right. where the position is. But just because you, you're you playing another position um, and, and you've got a, uh, a position where you identify with, um, that doesn't mean you can't play another position very well. Either. I, I think being versatile is, is a, a very, very good asset to have. Mm-hmm. But I think overall, as your career goes on, you'd probably prefer to be identified within one position. Right, because you would sort of want to establish yourself as like, this is how value, this is how I'm, I make myself valuable, um, not just as as a player, but as sort of a, a focal point of, you you know, you build a team. You're not going to put Zlatan at center back or something like that. It's like what he is is he's a striker. That's what he has to do. So, mm. I mean, and I, I find it interesting. I find it interesting to see guys take on different roles. Demir Krylock is one of those guys who comes to mind as sort of moving into different spots. And I think that's always fascinating when – and I think that has something to do with, as we talked about, systems and coaches that a coach could see. One coach looks at a guy and says, he's perfect for this because this is what I run. Another guy says, oh, he's perfect for this because I want I want to approach it this way. So it depends a lot on the coach also, obviously. Coach and system and the individual as well, you know, there's there's so much that it comes down to. But um, ultimately, I think, as I say, if you're young, get into the team, be as versatile as you can, but then ultimately the long-term goal is you, you want a certain position on the field for sure. Yeah. So what do you think this means for, obviously the big follow is Julian Gressel because he's trying to get a good a new contract and everything mm. like that. And uh, Lennon obviously play, can play some of those same roles that, that Gressel does. What do, you, what do you think is the impact for Gressel? Here? Well, I'm glad you brought that up because that essentially is, is what I was going to say is that um, Brooks Lennon is capable of playing several positions. Um, and... I wonder, does this signal the end for Julian Gressel at Atlanta United? Because it certainly seems like it's, if not a replacement, it, it's certainly competition at the very, very least. Yeah. Um, Julian Gressel's contract negotiations, to my knowledge, <coughs> they haven't gone very well. Mm-hmm. Um, to the point where I, I had heard the other day he was on the trading block. Mm-hmm. So if... If that is the case, then then Atlanta have, have acted very quickly and found a very good replacement. 
That, by the way, is a Carlos Bocanegra signing, not a Frank de Boer signing as sure. well. So I, um, I, I think Brooks Lennon will fit very, very well into their system if they continue with the wing backs. I think Lennon has, has proven he can play there mm-hmm. uh, before. He's played at right back, right wing, and as you mentioned previously, he's a centre forward as well. Um, very good, versatile player. Um, and I think it's a good pickup for for Atlanta United. You know what was it, three hundred grand in the end in, yeah. in Gam and Tam, and I, I think that's absolutely fine, no problem. That's a good piece of business. Yeah, I mean, it feels like a, a way of that that some teams. It's sort of a way of doing business, right? I mean, like it, if it if it bears on the Gressel situation, which you know, sort of on the outside looking in, we don't have inside information on Atlanta, but to sort of be a team where you say like, oh, you, you know playing hardball like we're just going to get somebody who can do what you do right now mm-hmm. uh so if you go you know like we'd love to have you stay but if you go then we have somebody else so yes, and for half the price as well. yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> uh all right another big move that caught my attention uh luis robles to enter miami um yeah. seems like a great get for an expansion side i mean and we know that inter miami is expected to to be on the lafc atlanta united end of of spending in terms of what they're bringing in but um, you know, to just get that solid netminder for that first season that we've seen how important chemistry is. Uh, it'll depend a lot on who they get in defense, but to just know that you've got somebody back there who can handle it is going to help any team that's new a, a tremendous amount. Yeah, really good signing. I was really impressed with this. And also they signed AJ De La Garza a couple of hours yep. afterwards as well, who's obviously won MLS Cup with the Galaxy a handful of times and has been with the Dynamo for the last couple of years. So some really smart moves by Inter Miami over the course of the last couple of days. And I expect them to continue to do that. Uh, Paul McDonough knows... Uh, how to win in this league. He knows um, the formula it takes. Um, I think everybody instantly, because of, of the glitz and glamour of Inter Miami uh, and what they have potentially got lined up, instantly sees them, uh, I, I don't think it's um, unfair to say, as, as Eastern Conference contenders. Mm-hmm. Um, at the moment, I think that's a stretch too far. They are an expansion team after all. Let's yeah. just let them build slowly. If they make the playoffs, a great year for them. But there's so much roster building to do for them yet. But a lot of the signings they have made, I think, have been very, very smart. Now all they need, Steve, is a head coach. Yeah. <laughs> that is one thing you eventually have to get. Yes. Um, and, and I do still sort of feel like we're waiting for that move, waiting for that signing that makes you go, this is who this team is, you know, that you sort of understand, like, this is what this is the way they're built. Um and obviously the coach will make an impact on what that system is and things like that. And, but you know, it's good to remember that Atlanta United were very impressive in their first year, but also, you know, fell short of glory. LAFC very good. The first year, but also bounced pretty early in the playoffs. I mean, yes. it's just, it takes time, you know, like you does. can have a tremendously talented team. It takes time for that to gel and come together in a meaningful way. What I will say though, Steve, is I have been impressed with the, the roster structure that the two new expansion teams have been able to put together. Like mm-hmm. I thought the expansion draft was intriguing, um, ben Sweat was a tremendous pickup uh, for Inter Miami. I mean, that's such a difficult position to, to have sure. uh, a player um, that is as consistent as Ben Sweat is in this league at left back. Um, as I mentioned, AJ De La Garza coming into that back line as well. I, I'm assuming he will play at right back. With Robles there as a goalkeeper, Victor Uyoa has gone to Inter Miami as well as a central midfielder with plenty of experience. So they are starting to fill in little pockets of mm-hmm. needs for them. Now, I'm not suggesting someone like Victor Uyoa will start consistently for Inter Miami, but having those types of players with so much MLS experience, it, it is vital, and, and sometimes it is criminally overlooked in this league. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about the conference alignments. This is the thing that we sort of sort of knew where this was going to fall out. But uh, Nashville, SC goes to the Western Conference, Inter-Miami to the Eastern Conference, obviously. The question that came up for me, though, over the next two years, we're going to see three new teams come in, Sacramento, St. Louis, and Austin. They're all geographically west of Nashville. Mm-hmm. 
I don't expect we're going to get three new Western Conference teams added. So I imagine there's going to have to be some shuffling around. I don't know if that means Nashville moves or if it means some other teams within MLS could move. Do you see other teams moving? Do you see any possibility that Minnesota United ends up in the Eastern Conference? I do. I do see that possibility in the future for sure. Uh, And and, um, I remember um, the whispers around MLS Cup was that the latest expansion team will be on the East Coast, the last one that Don Garber wants to do. For a second, I don't believe it's the last one, but that's another subject for another day. It's going to be 50, 60. <laughs> um, so it, it wouldn't surprise me at all. Uh, you know, you mentioned the three expansion teams that are coming in uh, will all be Western Conference, um, I, I, unless they put St. Louis in the East, which would be wild. Um, Maybe St. Louis, but I feel like certainly Sacramento, I mean, obviously Sacramento, and then probably Austin. So, yeah. Yeah, look, no, no doubt the, the two that you just mentioned uh, at the latter part of the sentence will be West, but but I just wonder if they'll put St. Louis in the East. I don't know. Um, but yeah, there is a realm where I can see Minnesota United being shifted over to the Eastern Conference. I think um, Nashville eventually will be Eastern Conference. I think this Western Conference escapade of theirs is, is simply... Um, I think at the moment it, it is short term um, and, and that's okay. I think they'll be in for a year and then I think they'll go over to the Eastern Conference. I did find it, and by all means, I am not a, a geographical whiz, but I did think to myself, hang on, Nashville are over there in the Western Conference, but they're, wait, Chicago are what? And, and it was yeah. kind of bizarre. I thought to myself, you know, surely if anybody is going to go to the West, it should have been Chicago because geographically, if you put a line between the two, Chicago yeah. are more West than Nashville are. But hey, nevertheless, yeah. it means we get to go to Nashville next year. <laughs> yeah, hey, no problem. Yeah, the um, it, it's interesting, and this is a thing that all leagues deal with as they expand and they move around and teams change places. This was always something very weird, as Minnesota Timberwolves fans will know with the Wolves because they're in the Northwest Division, which, as we know, Minnesota used to be the Northwest of the United States back in the day. That's why Northwest Airlines was from here. Um, but Minnesota is in a division with with utah and denver and oklahoma city for some reason because oklahoma city used to be seattle so that was northwest as well um when it's kind of ludicrous because the 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 thing that would make sense for minnesota timberwolves is to play against the bucks and the chicago bulls and the indiana pacers like in a sort of midwest division Mm -hmm. but anyways uh so it's it's unusual and obviously we don't have the same thing there's sort of minnesota united and chicago there's the sort of two upper midwest teams here um but yeah there's going to have to be some kind of Something's going to have to happen there. <laughs> Something's got to give it some stage, doesn't it? Yeah. Let's, uh, I just want to, I went on to the alignments because of, uh, talk, we were talking about Inter Miami, but I wanted to also highlight another thing that I found is sort of compelling. Colorado Rapids, uh, bringing on Lawson Bubakar, uh, who was on loan there, and then bringing in Drew Moore and Austin Trusty. I'm kind of digging this Colorado side. Like they were, they were fun and feisty last year with Shinya Shiki, the, the rookie of the year. Um, playing fun soccer and, and to like bolster that defense that way. Um, and to move on from, from Tim Howard at this point and things like that. Like I'm sort of, sort of feeling it. I, I mean, I'll wait for the rebrand because I think they could use a little <laughs> bit of some, some, some kind of something there with the, with the, the crest and all that. But, uh, but yeah, as a team, I'm kind of liking them. Yeah. They've essentially sorted out their two center halves for the next, at least five years with the Bubakar and Austin trusty coming in mm-hmm. drew more, no doubt on his return to the club, 
will be the presence in, in the locker room that they will now miss without Tim Howard. Um, there's a couple of other players in there that I'm sure have plenty of characteristics to be a leader, but Drew Moore certainly is. Everything I'm hearing from Toronto is that he was beloved in that locker room and, and everybody had a tremendous amount of respect for him. He already had that respect from the Raptors organization, of course, after being there for several years. So um, I, I think Drew Moore coming in, he will play you know, a couple of games here and there. He, he will start maybe 10 to 15 games, I'm assuming. Mm-hmm. Um, but Austin Trusty and Alice Abubakar, my, my eyes actually widened when I saw um, the, the Austin Trusty deal. I, I assumed Abubakar would go there at some stage. They paid yeah. a heck of a lot of money for him, uh, but that's that's great. You, you have to at some stage. Um, but Austin Trusty, I didn't expect the union to, to give up on him as easily as they allegedly seem to have done. So mm-hmm. uh, I think Austin Trusty... Um, if he continues on the trajectory that he is on, it wouldn't surprise me if he was a part of several national team camps moving forward. So I think it's really good business by the Rapids. Um, they've given themselves a solidity that they've lacked over the, the last couple of years, particularly in that heart of the back line. Um, so yeah, they could be very, very fun to watch next season. Yeah, and we've seen, we saw with Minnesota United that, you know, the, the center back position is a sort of market inefficiency in, in MLS right now. You get like a really good, you know, center back or pairing of, at center back. It can, it can improve your team dramatically. And I think that, again, the Rapids looked good toward the end of last year. And then to, 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 you know, definitely put Abubakar in there uh, for good here at this point, And then to add trusty that I, I think you could see, I think it'll, I think there'll be a lot of fun next year. They still need a piece or two behind the center forward though. I don't think they have yeah. enough goals. You can't rely on what will be a 35 year old Kai Kamara next season. Yeah. Yeah. Um, solely you yes. know you have to have other pieces behind him so sure. uh, Kamara is still more than capable of scoring 15 20 goals in, in this league but that can't be the only outlet for the Raptors next season yeah uh speaking of teams that need a rebranding or maybe didn't need a rebranding the Chicago Fire rebrand um let's just touch on this I uh am not a professional graphic designer I am a professional writer but I did study graphic design uh for a time at uh, Minneapolis College of Art and Design and I know I like to think I kind of know what looks good and what doesn't look good. The Chicago fire rebrand is they blew it. And I think that the, the response has been vocal enough that I hope they're at least considering, you know, rethinking it. Um, I think a couple people brought this up was as far as some other teams that have sort of launched a rebrand and then quickly realized like, maybe this isn't the right move. It just seems off to me. If you haven't seen it, it's, it's an oval, they had the Chicago fire. The, the badge before was like a Chicago fire department badge and it's sort of connected to the fire and you know, their decision to go in that like, this is the identity of the team. You know, they sort of abandoned a lot of that. They changed the colors. It's the color scheme sort of looks RSL, very RSL influenced. They made up this thing called the fire crown. That's sort of references the fire, but also has a crown on it. It kind of looks like the star from Chicago, the six pointed Chicago star, but straight up and down on the sides. And it, it just feels like, not considered like it doesn't feel like it has details or weight or anything like that to it and i'm just i'm sort of perplexed by it because this was the same the 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 people who did the branding i think it's cartwright but i might not be right on that name i don't have it handy in front of me but they did the milwaukee bucks rebrand uh in the nba and the bucks rebrand is one of the best ones i've seen it's terrific um and i don't know there's a lot of circumstances that go into how this stuff happens it's complicated i understand that this isn't somebody sitting there in front of their computer with ms paint and being like this is how we do this there's a lot of steps but with any process that has a lot of steps sometimes you can begin to go down a path and get to the end and think that within the group who were talking about it this is what we should do i think as soon as it was unleashed on the world people were kind of like is this is this it it's a little yeah. bit it's a little bit off-putting yeah, I must admit there was a leak, wasn't there, a, a day or two before it actually came out, and, yeah. and everybody's 
her sentence was, this this can't be real. No no way, this this can't be. Um, I was surprised, Steve. I mean, Chicago is, is such a creative city. Mm-hmm. I kind of thought to myself, that's what you've come up with. Um, to the point now where I'm just thinking, why not just keep the original logo? Just keep the logo that you've had over the course of the last couple of years. Um, you know, because it's such, it, it is such a big year for Chicago Fire. 2020, I would argue, is the biggest year in club history for them because they are attempting to reinvent themselves. They are attempting to to become the Chicago Fire that they really should have been for a long time. Mm -hmm. Moving into Soldier Field, um, I I think they're doing very well on on season ticket sales already. Um, I would fully expect them to have 20,000 on a regular basis at Soldier Field, uh, if not more. Um, And, and, you know, they've still obviously got to get a head coach and, and get things sorted from, from a, a sporting perspective. But, um, you know, everything else should really take care of itself. Um, and, and I just thought the the new crest was was a little bit strange. And I, I went in and, and tried to get into the weeds of it and speak to a couple of people. And even some people in Chicago aren't completely thrilled with it. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. Yeah, I think the best way to describe it, Steve, is that it's disappointing. It's not a good start mm-hmm. to what is essentially um, one of the biggest rebrands that Major League Soccer has ever seen. So I can't imagine people at the league office will, would have been too thrilled with it either. But ultimately, if you think about it, if Chicago Fire end up getting 30,000, 50,000 at Soldier Field every week and you know have a, a big-name coach, which I hear they're, they're looking to try and do, and they have star DPs and whatnot, and they become the Chicago Fire that so many people have wanted them to be for for 20-plus years. Are we really going to be that bothered about the the brand after all? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things that are like that. There are, you know, band names are an obvious obvious example of, you know, once the band is big, who cares what they're called? It doesn't really matter. The Beatles is a terrible name. (laughs) It's a a pun. It's a joke on beat. (laughs) It's terrible. It doesn't matter. They're the Beatles, right? Um, it's the same thing about like campaign slogans or things like that. Like every every time a candidate, presidential candidate has a has a campaign slogan, is everybody laughs at it. If they win, nobody remembers what it was. They're just the winner, you know. Um, it, it is just one of those Doubleday and Cartwright, by the way, was 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 the branding agency who obviously they've had some big wins. Um, it, it is a little inexplicable. I, I don't know if they the the tough thing about relaunching brands like this is like you kind of got to get it right. Cause if you don't, you can't just keep doing it over and over again. If, if, especially if the team is not successful, if the team is suddenly successful and then you rebrand along with that, great. If the team hits the bottom and you rebrand along with that, okay, nobody cares. If you, if the team doesn't seem to go anywhere and you have to keep changing how it looks, it, it really begins to get, you lose touch with what the team means. Um, so, you know, either way, if they do everything else, right, this won't matter. Um, if they decide to go, back up on this and decided to get, take another swing at this, I don't think anybody would mind. <laughs> no, but what I will say, Steve, is that I do remember when Sporting Kansas City rebranded and they unveiled their crest when they rebranded from the, the Wizards and everybody uh, thought it was dreadful. Mm-hmm. And now I don't even bat an eyelid when I think of Sporting KC yeah. and, their, and their crest, you know. So Fair. We'll, we'll wait and see, but I, I think we can all agree, can't we? It was a surprise what came out of the, yeah. uh, the studio there yeah. in Chicago. Yeah. Uh, last thing around the league I want to talk about, Freddy Juarez goes from interim to full head coach at RSL. Mm. Uh, deserved, you feel? Yeah, deserved. Good for him. I know talks broke down with Jason Kreiss. Um, and I am I'm thrilled for Freddy Juarez, who did a, a good job. Um, I, I'm all for, um, you know, young managers uh, and assistant coaches being given an opportunity at, at some stage. And, you know, because you, you do like to think in life, don't you, that you, you're always um, on, on a 
trajectory that you're you're always going up and um you know Freddy Juarez um you know was obviously he's had a number of different roles with the RSL organization and and um you know did uh, did stuff with the Real Monarchs the USL side as well uh well done to them by the way for winning the USL championship yeah. um and um you know, I, I think, you know, as a coach, you would always assume that that the end goal is to be the head coach. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, I like seeing people given being given an opportunity and, and I hope Rodrigo Juarez grabs it with both hands. I think he's um, he's somebody who, who is very well respected in, in the Salt Lake community and, um, you know, somebody who, who I think is more than worthy of the opportunity. Yeah. And I was, uh, you know, when, when uh, Mike Petke was let go, I was sort of concerned about RSL. They're sort of floating around that, you know, playoff position. But they seem to really respond to Juarez and, you know, bought into what he was doing. He was a guy who's been with the organization forever. So I think the players felt that was continuity. So it's good to see him rewarded for that. You don't want to, you don't necessarily want to see guys rewarded just because they've been there forever. But it seems like he put, you know, he put the money where his mouth was. He put his mouth with money where his mouth is always good as well <laughs> to uh to see if uh, a former minnesotan soccer player doing there you well. go yeah exactly all right let's touch on uh the only sort of minnesota united business i've got going on which is that the the mls announced the 22 under 22 list or the top half of it today mm. uh which included mason toy at number 14 uh ahead of mark mckenzie of the philadelphia union and jordy mihailovich of the fire and just who we were at 15 and 14 and then just behind Efren Alvarez from uh, the galaxy and James Sands from NYCFC. Do you feel like that's a, a fair, fair assessment of, we were having a discussion in the office uh, on my end of the office about how this is a hard thing to judge, mm-hmm. particularly in soccer because of the fact that like guys who are 22 could be, they could be four years into their pro career. They could be one year in, or, you know, they could either be, showing potential or they could be realizing potential. There's so many different ways to be an impressive player who's under 22. But, but what do you think about that that ranking of 14 for Mason Toy? I, I think 14, I suspected him to be a little higher, actually. I thought he'd be in the top 10, but um, have the league released the, the other... No, it's up to 11. So they've done 22 through right, 11. Okay. So tomorrow they'll do 11 through. Okay, one, that makes sense. Or 10 through um, Yeah, look, I, I thought he would have been in the top 10, to be honest. But, you know, as I've said several times on this very pod, that... You know, there have been times where I've watched Mason Toy in his uh, first year and into his second year where I thought, my word, this this boy needs a lot of work. Yeah. Um, and it's really only it's really only sort of two or three months where he's shown what he could potentially do that people are reacting off. So maybe I'm guilty of that as well by saying he should have been in the top 10. But again, let, let's give him time. Let's give him time to develop, and, yeah. and I think we've got a player in there somewhere. But um, I, I don't think he's perhaps ready to to shoulder all of the the centre forward burden yet. Um, but no doubt, I, I would expect him to to get a handful of goals again next year, um, and maybe even find him, himself in that top ten for the for the list next season. But um, I, I can see why he's been placed where he is. I personally, though, and we're fortunate because we get to see him most days in training. I, I personally think at some stage, whenever he, he fully um, develops, um, then he's a shoe in for that top 10 very, very easily. Yeah. I mean, he's, so he's 21 now. He'll be 22 by the time this list comes out next year. So he will not oh, be, so on he won't the, be on it. Okay. But he, he's in that position where now I could fully see him being in the top five 
you know, depending on how the next season goes, right? If if you were still in, if you were still under twenty two at that point. So, again, it's sort of hard to tell. I mean, you've got Mihailovic, who's got you know five appearances for the U.S. Men's National Team at this point. You know, where we, you know we're excited to have Toy call up to the U twenty three team. So, it's all it's just very weird how this works, especially when you bring in international soccer and things like that. And I mean, that we were talking about how. <clears throat> pardon me, I've got a cold. Um, uh, in the game against the Galaxy, you had Chase Gasper squaring off against Christian Pavone in a lot of, in a lot of battles. And you see, we, we were all impressed with how well Chase a rookie, you know, handled the veteran, you know, Pavone, uh, you know, from, from Argentina. And he has all this experience. They're the exact same age. They're the exact same age, basically. Yeah. Like they're like 10 days apart. They're both the same age, but Pavone has been playing professionally since he was 16 years old. So, you know, it's very weird when you start thinking about like what under 22 means or what this means in different contexts. I think that it's, I, I would have expected him to maybe be a little bit higher. I would expect he got a couple notches taken off just for the, the volume of the body of work, you know, because he had his peak right now is as, as high or higher than most of the other guys who are around him, but we just haven't seen enough of it yet. We saw him have a peak and then sort of have a little bit of a slump to sort of end the season. So I think probably a measured response is to say, he looks like he could become that guy. He's not that guy yet. It's going to take some time. Yeah. I wonder as well, if Asani Dotson was of the appropriate age as well, where he would fit in yeah. this list as well, because I, We've said on, on numerous occasions on this podcast, and I will still absolutely say this without any hesitation. For me, I think if he carries on on the way that he that he is, I think Asani Dotson could very well be the next, um, I'm not suggesting they're the same player, but uh, he could be the next sort of Tyler Adams, the next player that gets that move over yeah. to, to Europe. And, and I say Europe in terms of one of the, the big five leagues over there, you know, so... Um, Look, PSA, but um, hey, it's what we do. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks for joining us for the 85th Sound of the Loons podcast presented by Cub, your neighbor who always has a cup of sugar for a price. Be sure to leave us a nice review on iTunes or at the very least a five-star rating and follow the team on Twitter at MNUFC and Cal at CalWilliamsCom and me at Steve Entrus. Apologies as always to Richard Wagner. And remember, there's only one person in this whole world like you and people can like you exactly as you are. <laughs>